Blog Talk Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Incantation Nation. It is week 30 of quarantine. (laughs) That seems like a ridiculous number at this point. Like 30 weeks in an attic somewhere in Huntersville, North Carolina. Um, But it also is episode four of Incantation Nation. We are overjoyed that uh, you have come back to listen to us. Um, I am your enchantress, Hedera Bindwood, with my trusty and illustrious lead engineer sidekick, Radwick. Where are you? Oh, I'm here. I am here. Illustrious and all, apparently. Oh, you don't like those descriptors? You want something different? I mean, it's... No, it's okay. I'll roll with it. It's okay. (laughs) You're going to roll with it. (laughs) Yeah, see, the answers are changing now that we're live on air. Huh. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, see, now you're scared. Um... I wanted to give a shout out and say thank you to my beautiful station manager, Pammy, um, my colleague, Jason Mankey, uh, whose show, Witches, Whiskey, and Wit, um, plays on Thursday nights on the Witching Hour Spellcast, which is the name of our station on Blog Talk Radio. But I also want to give I also want to give thank yous and explanations. We'll work on the explanation part ex post facto, but I wanted to say thank you to our guests from last week, um, Byron Ballard, who I thought was, you know, a very important voice to hear on the day that, you know, we all find out that Trump is COVID positive. And, I mean, admittedly, Bradwick, you and I just scrapped our Friday program notes <laughs> for for the second weekend in a row um, because of what we had heard and the news cycle. Can you even call it a cycle anymore? It's like daily upheaval. I don't think cycle really works to this or applies to this anymore. But last Friday, um, guests and our station manager, you know, really pulled some things together um, last minute so that we could have a, a stellar show and we could offer a diversity of opinions um, far and wide. Um, I was able to speak with a one of our new field correspondents up in the far-off land of Canada um, because I think it's going to help root our perspective 
um, more firmly here domestically trapped in the country that we can't leave on any airplane. But we can access our pagan listeners and witchcraftian listeners from overseas to give us, you know, input and feedback and really notes from the street, the ground level of where they are and how they're experiencing the chaos that is reigning wild um, over continental United States uh, currently shows no sign of getting dull anytime soon. But back to my thank you. So I wanted to thank um, Byron Ballard and Searsha Strikefire, and how cool is that name? Thoros um, Odinson. Um, we had some really, really great guests and some great conversation. Um, and thank you for all of the well wishes and notes and feedback and questions that have already started to pour in um, to our uh, email, which is incantationnation2020 at yahoo.com. And also the uh, chat uh, that runs while we are on air and broadcasting. Um, So, Bradwick, I wanted to uh, bring something to your attention, which is really quite funny, I have to admit, um, because this is just how we roll. So, episode one of Incantation Nation uh, when we started on the 18th, September 18th, um, uh-huh. we went on we went on air like 15 seconds after I was noti- we were notified that RBG had passed, and wow, that was a stunning beginning to a broadcast, but. Just in the nick of time, we have showed up on air so that we can share these things together. Um, What we shared um, in her case is the loss of equal rights champion, you know, equal civil liberties and equal access to resources. Um, and widening the scope of inclusion in what is suddenly a very terrifying American experience, but we'll just say it builds character, question mark. Um, But episode two, so RBG passing set off a cascade of dynamics that hit all of us. Um, with an incantation nation because no matter how you identify, you know, our liberties and rights are being challenged. And so each one of these issues, while it may not seem to be a pagan or an occult or witchcraftian um, issue on the surface, it does all of us. 
and the inhumanity that we've been experiencing um, should not ever become normalized, let alone popularized with what we've been seeing on the news just today. Um, So I think we should pay attention to that. Um, And we want to hear your questions, so keep those things, those uh, communications coming. Um, Episode two, I don't know if any of you noticed it, but the cat puked on air in my room (laughs) while we were on air. And, of course, this cat does not choose to do this until we record, because this cat usually chooses elsewhere to do that, you know, business. And so as though it were not enough for Deacon, yes, that's my cat's name, to throw up on the carpeting, he moves from my bathroom right next to the side of the bed to do it again, just so that the listeners can hear him do this. And I don't know if anybody heard it, but I don't know. I kind of felt like he was anointing the broadcast. I don't know. What do you think, Bradway? Good luck. How should we do this? Oh, I I think he wanted attention. (gasps) You know what? I think you're exactly correct. It's kind of like when my number one child if, if, tried if they didn't to kill hear me my the first time. <laughs> yeah, in case, in case, mom, you didn't hear me vomiting for attention the first time, I'm going to do it again for you, but right next to your side of the bed. So if in the in <laughs> Some moments of episode two, you hear me talking really loudly. It's because I'm trying to cover the sound of cat puking. So you're welcome, Incantation Nation. So this is where we get to episode three. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And you see a pattern happening, right? So episode three, I was... Uh, confirming guests all day, Um, last Friday, a week ago today. um, We had talked about segments. Everything was looking beautiful. I was excited about the group of people we were bringing on board to talk about um, the president's COVID status, which was like, okay, here's something else for us to deal with on the fly. So I pulled all that up together and then at the very last moment had to pass off the show to my station manager and my beloved Bradwick. You are beautiful. Thank you. Um, because I, because I, did you just give me a delayed awe? I, I did. I did. <laughs> Ow! Anyway, um, I had to pass off the show to my station manager literally moments before uh, the broadcast began because I went into anaphylactic shock. 
and anaphylaxis and I had had a really turbulent five days together between Monday of last week and Friday. Yeah, I went into anaphylactic shock no less than three times. And it is a complication of a genetic disorder that I have. And basically systems get to choose whether or not they work correctly or don't work correctly. So think some crazy ass circus fun house type situation, haunted house. That's what living in my body is like. It is, it, it is literally this chaotic thrown together heroine, except I don't see any admission fees like coming my way. I mean, there's no profit to be made. Um, but I went into anaphylactic shock and I have uh, been going through treatments to get that reined in. And part of that funness is the fact that I have swelling and sometimes it can affect my optic nerves. So just for added fun tonight, guys, I want you to pretend as though you have like a quarter inch thick layer of Vaseline on your eyeballs. And then I want you to try to read teeny tiny font. Does that sound like a fun thing to do? Brad, you up for that? Um, I'll take a rain check. <laughs> you were supposed to say yes. Um, <laughs> so, so here's what's the great part about this. I am going to be, and I had to, i got to be honest with you guys, I had to change the font size on my phone to, like, Really, really legally blind. I'm talking like Stephen King blind with, you know, the font. I can probably fit three and a half, four words on my screen at any one point. That's how big the font is because everything is blurry because I've got Vaseline vision. So if you hear me, guys, hear me reference Vaseline vision. It is because my optic nerve is being strangled just for fun by swelling in my brain. How about that? What do you think? Brad. That, well, okay. Let's, we'll roll with it. Sounds like a fun No, night. you're supposed to be enthusiastic. Well, yes. Doesn't, yes, it's going to be great. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so this is episode four. I can only imagine what divine omens will possibly occur during this show. Um, Because, hey, this is show number four. We're in quarantine week 30. 
we, you and I are both here, and we do have a fantastic guest for this evening. And he will probably be calling in in just a little bit. So before uh, that all got started, uh, tell me how you are, Bradwick. What is new and good with you, and how did you find the news cycle for this week's past events? Well, uh, for starters, I've been really good. Um, although there's <laughs> always there's there's always this. I mean, recently, especially the past thirty weeks, there's always this like looming like a feeling just constantly buzzing around, telling me like things aren't that good. Like you know, as much as we try to make it through the day, it's like no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You know, I, I don't fun. look. I don't look. It's fine. Everything's fine. I don't look at the news <laughs> too much while I'm at work, and by the time I get home and turn on the news, I just be like, okay, no, there's still a dumpster fire. It's everything's still on fire. Everything's burning. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating, but, but you know, I mean, recently, the past, I think, uh, two weeks. With with yeah. the debates happening, um, the now famous fly from television. Um, oh yeah, we're gonna talk about the, the fly. Posi- the, fly. <laughs> uh, the positive Corona test. Um, you know, there's like these little things popping up, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. You know, like this debate happens. Okay, this I like the way this debate worked out. Um, I like to add in of the fly. That was a nice touch. That was a nice touch. Took me out of took me out of the chaos for a second, so that was good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got I've got words about that fly. We're gonna we're gonna revisit the fly because mind you, um because of my genetic disorder, I um uh, I use medicinal brownies to regulate and uh keep my pain levels manageable. But there are times when I've got a little bit too much medicinal brownie for the amount of pain I'm in. And so this gives rise to one of my best friends medicinal brownie md and medicinal brownie is what i call my not so imaginary friend of ridiculosity hedera that leans into i'm holding it all together hedera's space and says some off the wall crazy shit and i do have some medicinal brownie md quotes because he and I watched the debates together, and my housemate was not looking at the screen of the of our uh, laptop because you know we're in what's called the senior center, so we're watching this all go down on, on a Chromebook, right? So I'm staring at the screen for probably what is. It felt like 15 hours 
but it was probably only 20 seconds. And I go, I, I slap my housemate on her leg and I said, Aaron, Aaron, there's a fly on my bed. <laughs> and she goes, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. No, that's not. So seriously, I have this self-check moment where medicinal brownie notices something before my consciousness does. And I'm sitting here trying to check in with my housemate to see if who's right, medicinal brownie or me. Is that a fucking fly on Mike Pence's head? <laughs> Wait, do other people see that fly? Because literally, I, I, <laughs> I could not make out whether the fly was real or imagine. <laughs> or better yet, was it, was it fake? Like, I really couldn't. <laughs> I was wrestling with this for too many damn hours before, like, and of course, that's how time works when you're under the influence of medicinal brownie MD. But I literally sat here struggling with the damn fly. So, yeah, yeah. I have driven oh, this train straight off the track, and it's only 820. So this is the best open open we've ever had. (laughs) I would have loved to have been (laughs) a fly on the wall (laughs) during that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and when when Robin shows up, I'm going to ask his opinions about what we all what we all saw because I I still have some open ended questions about that fly, to be honest with you. And not not that it helps, um, but you know, I'm a big fan of Brian Williams. He's actually who I wanna be when I grow up. Just kidding. Um I love the way that that man speaks and I hope my delivery one day approaches his. But at some point when they came back after the debate to the broadcast, right? So there's Brian Williams waiting, and he says, okay, and we had a guest appearance by a fly, and also, did anyone else see Pence's eyes bleeding? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. <laughs> So I'm like, wait, I didn't see that. Surely someone who <laughs> who is part of the what did they say? It was like the the baby eating cabal of Satanists. And I was like, okay, fair. I identify. I've eaten my fair share of babies. Matter of fact, I just had a seven year old delivered to my house just now that I'm going to eat after the show. So, okay, this that's real. But then when he says bleeding from the eyes, I'm like, what the hell? And I, I guess I need someone other than me and medicinal brownie to watch that transition from the debate 
back to the debate analysis because I swear if Brian Williams doesn't say spontaneous <laughs> bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> I don't know if he meant it metaphorically, but I need someone to validate that he actually said that because now I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm looking not... into it right now. <laughs> Are you really? That's not fair. You've got a job to be doing right now. <laughs> you, you you got a job to be doing right now. I'm going to um, be the medicinal brownie fact checker. Ooh. I mean, but do we want to do that, though? That sets a, a priest. That sets a precedent where we are not accepting the mysticism of medicinal brownie md were kind of like um, i feel like fact, you know what i'm saying yeah i get it yeah i see what you're putting down you know what i'm saying it's kind of like you want to keep the mysticism in the mystery what do you think yes i like it anyway i like it yeah yeah so let's not mm-hmm. pass it off as like fact checking medicinal <laughs> brownie but i would like for anyone to find that clip where Brian Williams comes back on screen and see if he doesn't say Mike Pence bleeding from the eyes, because I would love to know if that indeed is real. Okay. Now, second thing, second, let's talk for a second. We're going to do the Hedera's holler for just a quick hot minute. Because can we give some hollered props to Gretchen Whitmer's response to the foiled attempt to kidnap and kill her by showing up on international TV looking like the baddest bitch with her you know, lip color on point, her skin as white as snow. She's looking like a vampiric empress. I want to be the Michael to her Celine. Do you feel what I'm saying? She looked amazing. Yeah, Yeah, when in that jacket. Oh, girl, girl, her leather. Yeah, right? And then she's got her bad bitch girlfriend. I don't know if it's a lowercase G or an uppercase. You never know. You never know. You never know. In the background, doing some lethal sign language. And I was like, holy shit. This chick is obviously Gretchen's bodyguard and angle, uh, anger translator, like Kean Peel does the, you know, Luther Obama anger translator. I think Gretchen was sending a not so subtle hint that bitches may want to try to kidnap my ass, but me and my homegirl here. <laughs> are not just going to scare the shit out of you. We're going to sign language about it so everybody can enjoy the ass whooping that we're going to put down on you. 
because we are queens of the night. Yeah, I mean, when I saw her come up, like she seemed unfazed. Oh, man! And and just that jacket, I was like, "You look, you look like you're ready to throw down." Yeah, like she was gonna cut somebody, and she didn't even need yeah. a dagger to do it. I mean, her look, her message. I mean, the only thing she lacked was an exploding micro microphone at the end because she just said what she needed to say. Her homegirls in the back doing some gorilla sign language guru. And I was impressed. My mouth is hanging open. That clip never gets old. I may just put it on loop. What happens next? I'm not at liberty to say, but she just said, look, FBI, Busted up your little ignorant duck dynasty party or whatever the hell they thought they had. Um, but her calm, cool collectedness just made Trump's chaos last week look so much more unhinged and a spectacle of the absurd. But but I'm deadly honest when I say I I want to be the Michael Corvinus to her. Celine, you know, like underworld style. <laughs> you laugh. I'm deadly serious. And you know what else? I bet I am not the only one who felt lack. You know what? Matter of fact, let's hear from our incantation nationalists um, about what they thought of Gretchen Whitbert, Whit- Whitmer's clapback. Um, because every time I see that damn video, I'm like, mm-hmm, she's kicking ass on her own. She will just, she will just let you know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that is that is this week's um, Hadera's Hollow. So I hollered at Gretchen Whitmer. And I would love to know the name of her um, sign language interpreter that stood um, behind her to the left, which I love. That's some leftist, left-hand path loving right there. Mad respects. Um, So that is that segment. But so how I see um, this evening's flow of conversation moving um i we got a lot of um i got direct messages emails um and there was some questions about you know who can be part of incantation nation and i wanted to be sure to um share that there is no monolith or single way of pagans, witches, occultists, necromancers. Uh, We don't all have to have, we won't have a consensus of opinions about one thing or another. And when I choose the guests that we are going to have um, come in 
Bradwick, I have a feeling. Check your spidey senses because I feel like Robin is knocking on the chamber door. But I was just blathering away. What? Was I right? Was I right? Um, I will. Just, I'm gonna go check the door. You go. Oh, I like that. The door to the abyss. I'll just keep yammering along. But anyway, um, got a lot of communication after um, the last show that we did a week ago tonight, um, and I thought we could go low key this week because the first couple shows we came out gangbusters because we had so many um, different opinions and perspectives on what it is that's been happening in the greater muggle context and basically the dissolution of the muggleverse right before our eyes. And I wanted to be sure to pack our slate with a diversity of voices Um, so that folks could know I will never approach um, any one demographic or one guest in particular to speak on behalf of all of those who identify in similar ways to uh, one of our guests. Whenever I have someone come on the show, please trust that I'm asking them to speak on their own behalf, which is part of the commitment to the incantation of the nation, meaning each one of us has our own voice, um, as we've discussed, to be incantory means, you know, you sing, you incant, you chant, you are bringing magic of your will into your world to arrange in an order that you prefer for your life to carry on with. And so I can't ask one person to represent a demographic. I will only ever ask what is your um, personal thoughts on this or what conversations have you been hearing in your circles? So that is good for a diversity of folks. But every once in a while, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit and we're going to keep it low key so that we can go on a deep dive into a topic that needs a longer treatment than just a cursory 10 minutes or, um, you know, just a light brushing over mm-hmm. when true, true treatment um, requires more time than that, requires more time than that. So, and without further ado, mm-hmm. we actually have our guest out there lurking in the ether. Robin. <clears throat> Robin. Robin. <laughs> Are you there? 
I am. I am. You, you are here. Did you have a moment to, to breathe and drop your bags and just chill for a moment? Did you get that time? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We're all we're all set. Okay. Well, all systems are go then. Um, <laughs> yes, all systems are go, and I hope you're excited. We are excited to have you on the podcast. Well, thank um, you very much. Oh, well, thank you very much for being agreeable and sharing. We had a discussion about, a quick discussion about Gretchen Whitmer's style and her um, hit points that she carried with her, obviously, when she did her press release. We also covered the fly photobomb that showed up (laughs) during the vice presidential debate. Um, That was spectacular. Did you have any any feedback for what your reactions were to any of the chaos of last week? I um you know, I, I don't have an enormous amount of personal feedback on that. Um my uh I feel like a spectator to a lot of it. Uh I, I intentionally in fact didn't watch the vice presidential debate, um, although others have really caught me up on the highlights, and especially the fly. Uh, I did sit through the presidential debate, and I found it to be extremely uh, frustrating and, and stressful and shameful in, in many ways, um, <clears throat> which it was an unusually strong emotional reaction from me because yeah. I uh, kind of given up all hope on, you know, uh, party, national party politics is just not something I, I really invest a lot of my own hopes or dreams into. So right. to, to see how – to see how bad things really were, you know, between between Trump and Biden, largely on Trump's part because he was such a, you know, disruptive, rude, blowhard. But we we know that about him. But he was just so awful, you know, on the screen. It was just I found it to be very disheartening, <clears throat> and I'm and I'm not the sort of person very vulnerable to being disheartened at things like that. Um, right. So it was hard. It was hard to see it thrown in my face. Now I understand that they behaved a lot better, mostly in the vice the vice presidential debate and the fly. I've seen a clip of the fly, uh, the world's most famous fly. Um, and yeah. I think probably – I'm probably not uh, too original when I say that <laughs> I have the same Western metaphysical associations of flies with, with <laughs> decay and refuse and dung. And, and that's a shame, and that's a shame because I, I don't – I don't hold those Western cultural associations up as authoritative. The flies are in all likelihood completely innocent, nice creatures. They're just as much a part of the world as we humans are. They were probably here before humans were so that we've come along and turned them all into, you know, these dirty little nasty things. It's just, you know, right. it's just more civilized human arrogance. Right. Chances are the fly might have been the nicest guy, you know, and yet <clears throat> he, he, here he is landing on a person that most of us think is sort of the human equivalent of a kind of a dung heap. And, um, yeah. you know, and so that's, gonna, yeah. that's going to make, that's going to make a lot of press. But I, aside from laughing about it, I didn't have <laughs> much of a feeling about it. I, um, I feel very lucky that for the last four years, I've heard very little out of, out of Pence. I haven't seen his face much. I avoid it. 
and I haven't heard much out of him because, like most vice presidents, he's just kind of sort of there and not there at the same time. Um, it's about as exciting as a mashed potato sandwich, if I'm hearing what you're saying. Does that smell? Yeah, sorry, I saw the fly. But yeah, I, I have, sorry, I'm sorry I don't have an enormous amount of you know, original and scathing feedback on on this very shameful uh, display of you know national politics. It's uh, oh no no, no. I, we. I, we... <laughs> We we keep our commentary on Incantation Nation equal parts revelry and reverence, and so <laughs> we we switch pretty freely back and forth between scathing indictments and you know critical thinking or critical tearing down. Um, but my question is, you can't help me ascertain whether or not Pence's eyes were bleeding. <laughs> did you hear anything um, about that? You can't help me. I, I did not. I did not. The, the, the few uh, the, the few times I looked at his eyes, they just seemed to be his usual sort of um, uh, <laughs> sort of emotionless kind of anima-free sort of eyes that I've become used to on him. <laughs> Vacuous holes and yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something there, but you know, it's not a lot of something that I'm familiar with anyway. Well, so how about this? And we can take we can take a poll of uh, of our listener listenership audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are all new words for me. Um, okay. Because medicinal brownie, I was explaining to Bradwick, um, pain management for me looks like medicinal brownies. Let's just say that. And okay. when there's when there's not enough pain to match the amount of brownie magic, sometimes what manifests is my sidekick known as medicinal brownie MD. And sure enough, as I'm watching the vice presidential debate, this fly <laughs> happens, right? <laughs> and de- I, I shit you not, medicinal brownie leans into my consciousness and says, Whose work do you think that is? And I said, what do you mean? And so Medicinal Brownie says, is it Beelzebub or Belfador? Because either one of those deities could lay claim to the fly that chose, because I'm going to allow for some free will to happen here, either that or Pence's Aquanet game is a lot tighter than I thought it was, but that fly took its personal agency and said, you know what, I'm going to sit tight for two minutes on Mike Pence's head, make sure everybody sees me, and then I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to allow for that personal agency. What do you think? <laughs> do you have any opinions? Are you asking me if I think that that the fly was <clears throat> metaphysically or, or meaningful on some deeper level? Um, that it I, was a sign of sign of some sort of mystical occurrence or intersection of <laughs> of, of a deeper reality yeah. with ours? I like uh, your question better than what I was insinuating. <laughs> well, I can't say. I mean, I can't say because I'm to paraphrase a beastly, beastly man, uh, Sigmund Freud. Uh, I guess sometimes a fly is just a fly, you know. Um, 
and flies do love to land on things and give them enough time, you know, they'll land on everything. Uh, <clears throat> what I do want to say is I have no idea if the fly was meaningful beyond just a fly landing on things as <laughs> flies do. But I do want to say that <clears throat> as, as a funny – here is something that might be seen as maybe synchronicitous. Right before it happened, I was in fact – I was in fact researching the name Ball, B-A-A-L. Um, yeah. Yes, right. I was researching that name. Just, you know, it's a title, of course, more than it is a name. But there are yeah. a lot of, you know, from from my research, I discovered that there's a lot of um, a lot of people involved in that the field of Canaanite, ancient Canaanite religion, and, and things of that right. nature. Who who they say that yes, Baal was a title given to Baal was a title given to many gods, but it may have actually mostly referred to one particular god, and. It's interesting that the, the name Beelzebub in the Bible, because now everyone mm-hmm. is talking about Beelzebub and the Lord of the Flies. Uh, some scholars think that the writers of the, you know, the biblical writers who make fun of Beelzebub, calling him disparagingly, calling him the Lord of the Flies, that this may have been a very powerful god in the Philistine city of Ekron, and right. Baal, their city's god, may have been some someone like. Baal Zebul, which would mean in, in something like the, the Lord of the Heavenly House or the Lord of the Heavenly Mansion or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, a very mm-hmm. powerful, you know, sort of straightforward, powerful sky god that was just the god right. of a city that happened to be the god of a city that happened to be a, a competitor city to the people who were writing the Bible, you know, writing these testaments right. or whatever. So that's interesting. But also someone else even said, and I wish I could find this again, that the name could have the second part of that name could have in fact referred to flies. But in a positive way, because there could have been some association between flies and healing. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that that ball, who was the ball of the flies, could have been some kind of healer god. So I thought that was at least fascinating. I was thinking all these positive things, and then this thing happened with tents, and suddenly everyone's back to evil, you know, beals above the evil fly demon. So, so what's yeah, your well, opinion now? Have we thrown a question <laughs> oh, mark? Into into what you thought before? Are you reconsidering your position on the deification of flies? I only have one. I only have one opinion about these animals making appearances when politicians are speaking, which I would consider to be somewhat quasi mystical, and that is this bird landed on Bernie Sanders' podium, podium a few oh years ago. Oh my God! Back. I remember that. Was, Yes, right. Of course, the bird, right? The bird. Yes, and bird. I, I remember I remember watching that. And I admit, I admit I was and I still am very very much in support of Bernie Sanders. I he he's the only politician that's really made me feel inspired at, at any point in the last, you know, 15 years. Um and you know, that saying such a thing might might, you know, win me a lot of shame in some places or dislike, but I it is what it is. I'm always kind of like Bernie. And the bird landing on Bernie's podium struck me as meaningful, almost like to me watching that unfold, watching him look at the bird and smile at it. It was such an overwhelmingly positive and sweet feeling moment. I couldn't help but think that somehow Mother Nature herself somehow it just sort of put her her blessing on Bernie and his campaign here, you know. And so he when I saw the fly, ordained. yes. <laughs> when I saw the fly land on tents, I must admit I immediately <laughs> thought of the bird. I immediately thought of the bird that landed on Bernie's podium. 
<laughs> and to me, it was just a, you know, it was just another verification that you know. Oh, wait. This was like. Did you picture Bernie's bird eating Pence's fly? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I, I just thought Bernie got this beautiful bird, and here's Pence with this fly, you know, in his hair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just I don't know. It just it all seemed to make sense to me in in a in a sort of wordless way. You know, so anyway. Yeah, I mean, wordless <laughs> is definitely something we could use a lot more of because, and, and this is from a, a woman who talks a lot. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but <laughs> I do talk a lot um, and I write a lot. Oh, look, I've made a segue. I did a thing. So, um Yeah. So we've been in quarantine for 30 weeks now here in upstairs where they have locked me away in what my offspring called the senior center um, <laughs> for the okay. critically infirmed. No, I'm just kidding. Mm. They love me, I think. Um, but I wanted to know because Maine is a separate country for you know, reclusive folk and those who <laughs> like trees and really cold climates, myself being from New England as well. Um, do you know Stephen King? No, I'm just kidding. I, what, <laughs> what, have, <laughs> what have you been doing, uh, if anything, differently during your, your quarantine while? Well, um, <clears throat> I moved to a, a new house a year ago. In fact, it's um, we, we we bought a house, and so this is the first time we've ever done that. Just to show you, just to show you how behind you know the times we all are. You know, <laughs> you are you know, right uh, behind. <laughs> we bought our first home in Maine, and so a year ago I moved here, and I wasn't here long. I I got here just as winter was starting, and then. Before winter was even really over good, it seemed like the coronavirus stuff came out. So, right. you know, I landed here, started setting up house, but I haven't had an enormous amount of chance to, to get out of here much. I go out to get needed supplies, right. but we're kind of, you know, we're kind of, here we are, you know. And uh, right. so I've been, aside from setting up a house, I've been finally walking out there, you know, on the property and really engaging with this place, now that I'm here to stay for a while, maybe even nice. the full time, right? And so, yes, bringing, bringing to this place the sorts of things I do and the things I believe, making those kinds of bonds, ordinary and extraordinary bonds with the, uh, the many, with the great community that's here, the human and the yeah. other than human community, I was able to sit down and, 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 and all things considered rather quickly – write a book in my first year here, which I just published. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was, it was quite a triumph because I didn't plan to write a book. It just kind of sort of happened on its own. You know, I, I don't know really. I'm, I'm, I'm still can't wrap my mind around it, but it happened. And I'm glad it did because I really enjoyed the, the, the product, what, what came from it. And I know a lot of other people seem to be enjoying it. And, and it says a lot of very important things, you know, that I've been experiencing or that I've always wanted to share. So right. it's actually in my in my first year here, I've been able to, I've had a you know an enormous creatively good time, but we yeah. have not been able we haven't been able to get out much though, of course, because of the virus, and 
Maine doesn't have an enormous amount of you know, problems compared to other states with the coronavirus, but that's probably well, because we're you know, there's not a lot of people here. Yeah, we were told that, I mean, the current population of Maine is three, which would be you, <laughs> Stephen King, and some snow. Which I don't well, there's know. A, no, there's, there's at least one other guy. There's at least one other guy right up the road here. I see him from time to time. Um, but no, no, it's got a small population. And you know, honestly, I hate to say it, but the, these Mainers just seem to be pretty pro-social when it comes to, you know, staying staying in, wearing masks. You know, I hear horror stories from my friends in other states that they've gone to a grocery store and everyone's walking around without a mask. <laughs> Everywhere I go here, most pretty much everyone has a mask and you know, it's uh they've just done a really good job controlling it here and again, it's probably easy because there's not a lot of people and the people here are fairly <laughs> fairly well go along with what, you know, their towns and their townships and villages and cities ask of them. Um but it's peaceful. It's nice. I mean, I'm glad that it hasn't been a huge trauma here, except that it kind of has because it's a national trauma, and that involves us all. You know, sufficiently yeah. sensitive people, sufficiently sensitive people, will be able to feel something deeper yeah. that feels really wrong and really scary. Right, right. Well, and don't you think that you moving into a place you are meant to be? lends itself to a great, I don't know how you would describe it, just like a shoulder dropping of stress release. I mean, I know from my experience, um, growing up in New England, there's just no, I wouldn't trade the magic of that land and the perfectly, um, dark differences between each of the seasons than lending themselves to this certain flow. I'm not shocked at all that you end up in a beautiful place in Maine where you are meant to be. You've got the quarantine happening and then you pour forth this book um, titled the Clovenstone workings um, that was published. When did it come out? Like three weeks ago. Yeah, it's been about three weeks now, I think. Yeah. 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 It was about it was about ten days before the uh, the autumn equinox. So. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful magic. Do you? I mean, this is. I think this is what can happen for us when we choose moves or big life decisions that are truly in our favor, um, we are able to let go of this muscle armor that we, you know, have created for ourselves over the past four years, especially, um, that we can let go of having this locked physical position and emotional and mental policing because everything's a damn trauma. You put yourself <laughs> where you, you, you know, where you want to be. And then you can write a book like the <laughs> Clovenstone workings. Yeah. What would you say? What would you say to that? I, I agree 100% that um, I, I think it was Carl Jung 
I believe, I'm pretty sure it was Carl Jung that, that brought up once that uh, landscapes and cultures and places mm-hmm. like towns mm-hmm. and cities or just, you know, um, cultural landscapes and physical landscapes um, matched up with certain kinds of m- mental, conscious and unconscious sort of mental profiles in people. And he, I, I think right. Paul Jung really thought that either deeply increased mental health or maybe even a person's maximal mental health would be possible if the cultural and physical landscape around them matched what was inside them. So, so there is absolutely a truth to this, you know, this feeling I have being in Maine versus where I came from in the deep south. Now, right. but having said having said that, there were there are definitely things. I mean, when you're from a place, you're always kind of going to be from there. So there are things about the deep south that were positive and that I miss still. But right. this, this landscape, this landscape, this, this perfect four seasons, which we absolutely have, and, and, and you know, coming from Louisiana to see four perfect seasons is a very magical thing. It really is. Yeah. Uh, this landscape, this landscape, this these four seasons, and these these people who are harmless, friendly, but who mind their own business, and there's not a lot of them. That's a really that's something that I kind of require to live. I can't handle, you know, too 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 a too dense of people kind of situation. I've lived in big cities before and I I don't know that I could do it again. So being right living in big that. cities, yeah, living in big cities is best done in your 20s when you still think you're invincible. <laughs> well, yes, in fact as a point in fact I was in my 20s when I lived in a big city and <laughs> it's not that I it's, it's not that I thought that I was invincible. I just I can't explain what it is that made me able to just sort of endure the constant noise and the constant stimulation and the constant presence of strangers and potentially even dangerous people. I don't know what it is that was in me that allowed me to endure that, but whatever it is, it's, it's quite gone. So <laughs> it's quite gone. <laughs> my, it's quite gone. My tolerance uh, for, for noise has bottomed out. It is now through <laughs> the basement and traveling quickly towards the earth's core. No, I get it. I totally get it. So, so, coming here, coming uh, here, coming here has been an enormous. Coming here has been an enormous. Uh, I would say I don't want to sound cliche, but kind of a healing experience. Maybe some might say, or just sort of a a, a way to. It does feel like it's meant, and it does feel like it helps me to open up more and and be more, feel more connected, more communicative. Yeah. Those you know with those that I want to communicate with. So, that's a real thing. <laughs> And take that as a compliment, Incantation Nation, because Robin is very specific about with whom he spends his time. So with that, tell us, um, how did Clovenstone workings begin? Like, what were the machinations for you? that compelled you in such a way that you poured forth this book? Like, why this book? Quite a few years back, <clears throat> around the time, even before the time I, I wrote Anne Carol Gwynn, I started yeah. to wonder, I started to wonder if some of these powerful and very ancient incantations some of these powerful right. invocations, um, I start to wonder if they could be used to 
gain more than just your average run-of-the-mill kind of favors and things that people usually use them to ask for. I wondered if they could be used to uh, to conjure other than human persons yeah. to come and do things, to come and do things, or or more specific things. And what I was looking for was the possibility that words of power, words yeah. that had some kind of words that had some kind of metaphysical strength, could be right. surmised, could be surmised or divined somehow. With the power of these invocations, most of which made it into Ankara Gwyn, by the way, and so mm-hmm. it was the it was the sort of the use of of, of the horned moon charm from Ankara Gwyn to divine or surmise a word of power that did a thing that got this all started. Because the Clovenstone workings, you know, in in the heart of the book, five special words are taught, sort of to the readers mm-hmm. that do a whole manner of different things. There's a word that creates a powerful sort of circular space, which makes communication mm-hmm. with the unseen easier. And then there's a word that creates a special green oil, you know, uh, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. It was the idea, mm-hmm. sort of the evolution in my thinking, that these kinds of words could be one from the unseen, you know, mm-hmm. through the asking of basically asking for that favor and getting it that led ultimately to the Clovenstone workings becoming real because once I got the first word that actually worked over and over again, it was metaphysically sort of tried and its results came back positive. I realized, Mm -hmm. you know, I could, I could make a list of words like this and go through all the work I need to do to win them and use them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I did, and it became a book eventually, but not a book that was overly planned. The book just kind of sort of happened. As I told you, it it just kind of came together at one yeah. point, I realized all this, all this work I was doing. I realized at one point, you know what? This is this is going to be a book. I should. This is just going to be a book. Yeah. And that's when I, you know, <laughs> and then it happened. And then it happened, and here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> here it is. It, and here it is. Um, I'm going to tell you, to be honest, Bradwick, my trusty lead engineer, um, she and I ordered the book at the same time and of course Bradwick got his book first mm-hmm. and there was a fair amount of na 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 so I was like oh, <laughs> I'm going to choke him with the book um, but he's reading it I think he's got like a two day lead on me and you know, I said I was going to torture him on air with you here to witness that, but I've since reconsidered, and we're not going to do that. Um, but it is available on the Amazons, and it is published <laughs> the through the Amazons. It is published yeah, through. Direct. Y- yeah. Well, there's two. Yeah. So there's the Kindle Direct, but. Um, you know, I'm a fan of like printed paper because I like to sniff it. But that's just my bibliophile stuff happening there. It's a kink, whatever. Um, you have other works um, that I'm just going to go through a quick. I almost called it a discography, but um, you may very well be a musician. But this is really a, a bibliography, I guess. Um, 2005. I have a copy of Old Tradition Craft. Um, and then 2007, The Horn of Edenwood. 
and then The Witching Way of the Hollow Hill, and that was a collection, yes, between 2005 and 2009? Uh, I think that the uh, the collection was Letters from the Devil's Forest. Witching Way of the Hollow Hill was very early. It's probably the first like book that I self-published, and that was quite some time ago. I don't remember which oh, year, well. but it was way back then. <laughs> also, um, oh, I should point out the, I should point out the that Amazon old, old has fiction, lied to me. Oh. Can you hear me? I, I can. There you are. Um, yes. We have 2010, The Resurrection of the Meadow, and then a personal favorite is Letters from the Devil's Forest, which right. uh, I couldn't keep it in the shop, Robin, and we've talked really? about this before. I... I could seriously order 20 of them and they were gone within 10 days time. Um, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> well, I, I I've been to, waiting. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I want to throw this out there. Old Tradition Craft is by a different Robin Artisan. Um, I'm not sure who he is, but his name is spelled just not Artisan, but it's Artisan. It has an A in his I name. Saw- I saw that too, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's, that's not maybe, me. Maybe <laughs> that's not me." But I, I, I do think he and I get confused sometimes. I, again, I'm not sure who he is, but uh, I understand that the book is pretty good. Here, well, and it is. But here was <laughs> here was my thinking, and I think you'll forgive me for this. You and mm-hmm. I have both met pagans, occultists, witches, who change their names every three months or every <laughs> decade or so. And they're like, no, I don't, I don't like that spelling. I may go with something different. So I got the book and I'm glad that you totally busted that out of the closet. Cause I was just tormenting you, but old tradition <laughs> craft is definitely not your writing style. Um, it's a reasonably, <laughs> it is a reasonably good book, but totally not yours. And anyone who uh, call whose you know last name is like artisan bread, I it's I don't think that's gonna be someone I relate to as a writer. I'm just thinking. <laughs> um, but letters from the Devil's Forest was a huge hit. I we formed a um, we have uh, a book club, as you know. Um, we've talked about that before um, within yeah. the shop community. Yeah, the yeah. Um, the book club was ex libris, but then we had a um, the Horned One study group that would meet, and we were letters to the Devil's Forest because each of us was, you know, writing and keeping our own responses to your musings and meditations and we realized what we were doing collectively was writing to the horned one and processing your machinations your musings on what you felt saw and experienced as it relates to the forest, ironically, more trees show up in your imagery. I love that. Um, 
And then there's uh, the secret history, and then the words of Odin. Um, I just found out that I had missed the publication of Soon Comes Valpurgis Night, or Soon Comes Valpurgis. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, where the hell has that been? But, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. But uh, Anne Cara Wynn, and I'm going to put this whole bibliography um, up on the Incantation Nation page so that people um, can see the titles. I'm also going to take um, screen uh, shots of the cover art um, for those of us that enjoy our dyslexic leanings and need picture menus because words are hard sometimes. Um, and then there's Anne Cardenrude. How do you pronounce that? Welsh Gaelic would oh, say it for me. Uh, it's it's just um, on on um, Cardenrude. Yeah, on Cardenrude. Yeah. yeah, it just means the red cauldron. <laughs> I was exactly right. I was I was translating my Welsh Gaelic, and I was like, that is Welsh, and it means the red cauldron. Definitely. I feel like a winner now. Woo! Yeah. It's- it's a uh, it's a Welsh um, sort of Cornish hybrid, but yes, it's very it's very Brythonic and it's um, just on cut on roots. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, ni- a nice a nice little book, maybe my littlest. <laughs> it, it well does it is it a companion for it is it is and Caraguin. Yes, it is. So both of those should be gotten at the same time as. The Clovenstone workings. Would you agree? Oh well, I mean, the Clovenstone workings is very specifically about witchcraft as a um, as a, as an extraordinary engagement between mm-hmm. a person who either is witched or who wishes to become so, uh, mm-hmm. and the the unseen world. Uh, so Clovenstone is very specific. It's very about witchcraft, as I understand it. On caught on Ruth and and Carol Gwen. Uh, are both um, <clears throat> well? They're about sorcery for sure, and different ways of engaging with the unseen. But I think that mm-hmm. they're the center. The center of Anne Carol Gwynn is uh, spiritual ecology. You know, um, a very alternative way of seeing the world. Hopefully, closer to how maybe a lot of some a lot of our ancient ancestors might have seen it, and why that's something that we could really use these days. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Especially for those of us that are locked in attics and probably won't be left. <laughs> Won't be let out for like several months. I'm not. I'm not sure. We may just make this well, a got, permanent, permanent thing. But they have to. They have to let you out eventually. I mean, you know. I mean. Do they though? There's only, well, there's only so much a person can do. I mean. Yeah, that's true. I am kind of limited up here. The lar- the largesse <laughs> of my personality is trapped in this room, um, but. Uh, the cloven stone workings, the reason why I was saying that, you know, if one is getting the other books of yours, what's one more? So <laughs> yes, well, I guess that part's true. See, so well, that's certainly, that's, certainly, that certainly reflects how I buy things. If I If somebody tells me, hey, I don't know if you've heard of this writer, but she writes these incredible books about fairy beliefs or, 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 or folklore – and she, she, they're beautiful, they're dark, and I say, hey, thanks, I'll go check her out. 
if I go to a, an online bookstore and I if I go to an online bookstore and I see that she's got like three books out, I get all three. That's how I buy. Yeah. It's true. I mean, doesn't it, <laughs> doesn't it make though. sense if you can compare the the books to to each other? I mean, I just feel like it gives you a more rounded out experience of an author if you can look at several writing samples. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how I purchase, but of course. Maybe I'm not too terribly responsible with money in this one regard because sometimes that happens, and then it's like, well, we're going to have a slight few less groceries this week, but I bet you these books are going to be great. So that's just how yes. I feel about it. I subsist on books, and yes. I mean, <laughs> if you're in for one title, you're in for 12. So I think, you know, that's that's – that's how we heat ourselves in the winter is reading books and just, you know, <laughs> ingesting other people's experiences of the world. Um, so the cloven stone workings just kind of poured out of you. Is there any, how much time do you spend practicing magic? and doing your uh, trial runs, because you've kind of arrived in Clovenstone workings, you're arriving at these almost empirical realizations that, you know, the name Moadib is a fight. Never mind, I'm not going to go Dune on anyone, but (laughs) that a name, a word is power in that an incantation can be as <clears throat> simple as one word. Um, how much of your time is, I guess you could say, field practice or even practicum? And how much of your work is sitting with those experiences and meditating on them and being within the experience? Um, committing it to paper. Is it 50-50 or do you spend 90% in the woods and then, you know, 10% letting it pour forth? What does that look like? What does that process look like? Uh, It's 90% living it, practicing and living it. The writing happens in, in huge, very large focused amounts at certain times. Like, I'll I'll go a year before I sit down and really, you know, have this two-week-long writing fit, and then I'll go back to, you know, just kind of being away from that. But but the practice is is every day. I mean, yeah, and that's and that's for that's for and, and it's for different reasons. Like I have relationships created here in the in, in the forest and here around the house, and I have other relations that I've made extraordinary relationships that I've made in the years before that have to be honored a certain way. And yes. to make sure I always, to make sure I did that, I established times in the month when those things would happen. And so when those times come, those things have to happen. Um, and then when those times are not here, when I, <laughs> I can kind of do what I wish, but I'm living here and I'm living alongside a lot of living beings, some of which we can see and some of which can't really be seen in the ordinary sense of the word. But they are here, Great. and and mm-hmm. and I do have to I do have to respect them. I have to respond to the quality of presence that they do have, even though they are unseen. 
they have a quality of presence that that some people can sense still, Agreed. and that has to be Agreed. that has to be that has to be responded to. You know, I have to make sure that they understand that I I recognize that I recognize them and that mm-hmm. they're included in, in in what I do. They're included in how I live and. So, but yes. it's, it's an all the time. It's an all the time thing for me, and that doesn't mean that it's like <clears throat> it's not complicated in any way whatsoever. I have places in the woods that when I pass by, I may stop and make an offering, or I may stop right. and sit and you know have a talk. But yes. it's just uh, it's all very um, it's all very integrated into the, the land and the house and this mountain that we're on, and so right. you know that's not a. It's not hard, but it is all the time, truly. Now, if I have a special need or someone comes to me with a special need, then I have the sorcery itself, the witchcraft itself, what these relationships can mean in another level. I can set about doing a working or a series of workings hoping to discover something or bring about a change or something that I or someone else needs. Now, I'm not doing those kinds of workings all the time. I mean, right. it's, it's it's rare for a month to pass when I'm not when I'm not doing some kind of working. I mean, goodness knows since I've been here, I've been busier doing specific workings than I have been in, in some time. But this is again the first time I've had true privacy and a, a land to be a you know I I I don't want to say it's my land because I don't think that well spiritually speaking I don't think humans can own land. I mean it's I, I'm a steward of this place. I'm a resident here. Um, I think exactly. it's I think it's silly to imagine that you know somehow this all belongs to me. It was here long before I ever existed. You know, as as as, as the Robin, you know, in love. I uh, yeah. But anyway, I I've been doing more workings in the last year than I have in the years before. But a lot of that is because I now have the ultimate context within which to work. I have privacy. Right. I have safety. I have peace, and, and and I can I can get really crazy here if I need to and. And no one, no humans around, or any of the wiser. So, um, right. <laughs> a lot's been done here, uh, and I think that that's a good thing. It doesn't feel like it's taken over my life. I think it's very exciting being able to engage in workings more honestly and um, more frequently. Right. But it's a lot. And, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's a lot. Um, if I'm not thinking about doing workings, I'm, I'm doing them. And if I'm not pondering some important dream that I had or some experience. That I had, if I'm not pondering it, then I'm I'm having it. <laughs> so it's right. uh, it's something that's it's something that's never very far from my thoughts. Uh, well, but you know, it, this year it, it's kind of like an immersion process. Sort of. You know what I mean? Like you know, being fully immersed in it. Every year, every year has its winter. And our winter's coming up here. I mean, we just got into fall, but in Maine, you can still, you can catch scent of the winter coming from a long way off, from a long ways off. Oh. And when winter gets here, you know, everything's going to freeze up, and and the trees will be bare, and the the earth will be white, and the, the sky will be gray. And right. And and there's still a lot of life in the middle of all that. There's still a lot of things going on, and yet everything seems a lot more quiet, and everything seems a lot more sparse, and everything seems right. a lot more still. Well, I'm going to have a winter. (laughs) There's a winter coming up. The kind of – the level of activity I've had in the last year is not going to go on forever. I'm going to hit a three-month period where I'm just kind of, you know, probably not engaging in many workings. It's going to happen. But then another spring will come, and I'll get back to it. You know, it it, it goes that way. This is the exact conversation um, that I had 
uh, with Raven and Stephanie Gramasi after they moved. <clears throat> May he rest in peace. We're in power. Um, Raven had just moved. Raven and Stephanie had just moved to um, my hometown, literally three streets over from my parents' house. Really? And yeah, huh. and. I said, of course, because Raven's family is Sicilian, my family is Sicilian, and <clears throat> I said, have you been to La Fiorentina, Pasticceria? And he goes, yes. So, of course, we bond over Italian pastries, right? That's just some typical <laughs> shit that happens. I know. I know. Okay. okay. But, okay. Um, but it was funny because I had been waiting to uh, speak to Stephan, uh, Stephanie and Raven, and he, Raven had overheard me say, it's just completely different in New England. It is easier to surrender yourself to the rhythms of the season and the landscape and the movement of time and growth or dormancy. It takes a lot less effort when you give yourself, like you were mentioning earlier, to the landscape that matches your temperament. And it was absolutely a phenomenal uh, conversation that, that absolutely I agree with you know, your observations about, you know, the the wheel of busyness, the wheel of the year, and being cognizant and mindful of your surroundings in such a way that the magic will flow, but it will also at times not flow. And there needs to be an acceptance of, all of those truths. Um, so here's a question for you. And then if you wouldn't mind, there's uh, I've, I've collected a couple questions from um, our uh, questions list. If you would be agreeable. Are you cool with that? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay. Um, and the, the first one, well, this one's kind of uh, – now, let's go with this one. This is a better one. Um, back in the early spring, did you happen to notice uh, any reversal of magic, i.e., did it seem around Beltane, or um, for folks who don't yet know the holidays, um, uh, Valpersnacht, Hexanacht, let's say, late April, early May, that it felt more like Samhain than Beltane. Did you Hmm. notice any shift in what is normally the green of the year, the emergence of, you know, flowers, the thaw? It seemed more like fall to them than it did spring. 
you, how 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 I'm going to feel is going to be mediated to me by what the landscape around me is doing, largely what the landscape yeah. around me is doing. And I do recall mm-hmm. that this year, <clears throat> even though the winter was compared to others a fairly mild winter, I do recall that spring was strange in the sense yes. that it was it, it came on but it it took forever i mean it really took forever to for so the green, green the, the real green to show and i remember thinking that that was such a strange thing because maine often has as you've pointed out new england often has four seasons on point but i right. was in the woods i was in the woods building a um an off-grid camp lodge that i spend a good deal of time at in the spring and i remember thinking man winter's over and we're out here doing all this work but the forest hasn't gotten thick with greenery yet and it seems like it's a bit late and it was late this year and i remember that made me that made me feel like it did make me feel strange like like sort of like a winter was the way even though the winter's sort of major feelings were gone it was still holding on i do recall that Right, but that's and because that's because I was seeing the trees without green, and I was seeing the the, the fields without the expected flowers, and so, you know, that mediates yeah. to me what I'm going to think and feel, and that's how I felt. Well, and what's what's interesting about this question, um, and I'm going to give some awesome feedback to the to the uh, person who who asked the question. They just left initials, but I know how to get a hold of them. Um, <laughs> is that I too noticed, um, you know, between February, March, April, you know, having been born and raised in New England and knowing the cues for, you know, this stark delineation between uh, winter and spring, spring and summer, when it was supposed to be greening up, like you said, I noticed it wasn't, and then it still wasn't. But then what was strange was that in the evenings and at nighttime, the night air felt like November. It felt like the Stalin season um, because there was a certain wind that would pick up through the tops of the trees or that would blow the dry leaves around. And I found it very odd and curious. And I wondered, you know, who else was noticing how the wild hunt could have been happening at that time during the year and you know i'm getting notes from my lead engineer that people are going yes you know the sound of the thunder and rain was different the sound of the wind in the tops of the trees and i'm thinking this is a strange wind and then the covid explosion (laughs) happened And then didn't it make a certain amount of somatic sense to the body that this thing was happening, this collection of our 
dead <clears throat> happening at Bel- you know, Beltane when we are used to those feelings happening in November. So it's kind of like November has already happened for us. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. I think that when I think of um, when I think of COVID-19 or coronavirus or whatever, when I think of um, those kinds of entities, and I say entity because it, it, it really is a collection or a, a kind of disorganized community of entities. You know, the, the, the virus is alive, and it's, and it's a lot of creatures, a lot of living creatures, and, and they are, you know, are, we, can, we can poke and prod them all we want, but <clears throat> they are behaving and living in conjunction with a lot of conditions that humans are completely unaware of. And right. we, know, we know what they do when they, when they manage to entangle a human body or an animal's body. We know what they do when they begin to take power from other living beings, which they do. And this doesn't right. make them evil because this doesn't make them evil at all because humans take power from lots of other living beings. And, okay. and the living beings we take power from, they take power from other living beings because that's how things survive. So COVID is not evil, but it's certainly very strange compared to all the other kinds of things we're used to encountering. <clears throat> and they are right. a community of take, they, they are taking, they are taking. And when we think of taking powers versus giving powers um, or anything like that, when we use that simple dualism, when we think of winter winds and we think of the winter itself, you know, that cold that's out there that we burn, that we burn firewood to keep ourselves safe from is like a, 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 a vacuum of taking powers. This is why, right. you know, tra- traditionally our ancestors thought that winter was such a powerful time because you know, more people die in the winter than in other seasons, or at least they, they certainly did back in those days for obvious yeah. reasons, you know. And so it's a time where the, the powers that take are much closer, are a lot more powerful, and they're getting – they're eating, they're feasting, you know. Right. So, uh, right. well, COVID is feasting. COVID is feasting in its own way. So, yeah, it, it, do I think there's a parallel between the strange feelings that people may have had around the time before COVID made its debut on stage and, and the – yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Agreed. Good answer. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's um, definitely. I mean, that just that makes perfect aesthetic and spiritual sense to me. Absolutely, I would agree with that. Um, and there is, I'm I'm reminded of a quote by Morpheus from The Matrix, and he made this comment to Neo. Yes, I'm a science fiction nerd. Come on, guys, we knew this. <laughs> um, the reason that most of us are here, and this is when Morpheus is speaking to Neo when he is a neophyte. He says, the reason that most of, most of us are here is because of our affinity for disobedience. <laughs> and that is not simply a, you know, an observation of one person to someone that has just entered consciousness or a woke state, it is, I feel like, an accurate generalization that we can make about folks who are very goatish versus sheeple. Um, Because I have found in my 
I'm going to say it, 38 years of practice (laughs) um, (laughs) that disobedience and asking questions and pushing limits is, it is very goatish. It is not sheeple. We don't handle being corralled well. We want to explore and experiment with the rules, quote unquote, and paganry or occultism or traditions of whatever um, region of origin, I find that we don't sit on our hands well. We are not spectator types. We are very you know, I must live this thing. I must experience this thing. I must test the parameters that have been laid out like they're ironclad. Um, what would you, would you agree with that? I do agree that um, in the personalities of the, uh, the occultists and the, the neo-pagans and the people that I've known that I've respected that I thought were, were, were very dynamic or, or people of substance. I, I agree that I've noticed that as a quality of their personalities, but I will also yeah. say that I think that I think that the, um, there's something extremely human <clears throat> in a natural, healthy, original sense about mm-hmm. wanting to explore and wanting to test boundaries. And by that, I mean that the very first humans we're, we're very much explorers. And I think that our brains and our bodies and our minds work best when, when they are exploring and discovering things. Uh, I mean, I think that before we, we were too settled as humans, we were wandering as humans. And right. so we have, I think we have wander-prone bodies and wander-prone brains and, and wander-prone souls, honestly. I really do think that about, about humans in general and a lot of people's angst and a lot of people's dissatisfaction and a lot of people's sense of existential despair, I think, comes from the fact that they've become too settled and something deep inside them wants to see more and wants to explore more. Agreed. I was yelling. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I completely agree with that a thousand percent. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing more red flag to me than someone who is no longer asking questions about their experience of the world, no longer asking questions of the flora and the fauna and the seasons within which they find themselves. I can't usually hang out for very long with people who who are devoid of curiosity, you know, and I guess it's just find it easier to engage with someone if, when I can find that part of them that still comes to life when, you know, we're talking about something that they find curious and pursuit-worthy, I guess you could say. Indeed. I mean, are we, are we all still pursuing our muchness, you know? 
Hmm? I've got a question or another question. <laughs> this one says, uh, how does it feel to be a guest on the hottest podcast available on Al Gore's internet? <laughs> <laughs> This is an actual question. I'd love to hear your answer. Uh, it feels a little bit surreal uh, that that uh, anyone would, would really be uh, quite as excited as you appear to be to have me here. I don't consider myself <laughs> to be, you know, I don't consider myself to be, you know, the, uh, the, the, the kind of rock star you make me feel like when you, when you send me oh. messages and talk to me. Uh, yeah. And it's and it and it's a very great honor to 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 be asked questions and to be thought that my answers might be taken seriously. We are so serious right now. <laughs> we are like lethal level serious right now. Um, I can, and I feel like I must explain our affections, and I don't mean just me and myself. I meant. Um, the legion of people for whom your writing was, I'm going to say it, a gateway drug into um, their own personal search for self. Your writing style, Robin, to be perfectly honest, because I'm a voracious reader and collector of things and you know your writing style and your honesty about how you understand and order your world is a powerfully relatable role model for them so while for you and I, or for anyone who writes, we don't ever really know how our readers or listeners are going to receive what we think are just observations and musings and queries. And I'm going to be honest, letters from the devil's forest really showed your readers their own humanity, the, uh, their own relatability to what you have set down to paper. It's not an explicit permission that you've granted them. It is the more nuanced subtlety of Role modeling, you make impressions, and people are then in turn infected by the curiosity we've been discussing, and they begin to treat their own voices and experiences as valuable because you made the decision that what you were feeling and documenting was worthy of being shared. And you should know that you deserve every 
stellar review, every thank you note, every, you know, adoration that, you know, we, you know, as booksellers and colleagues send you. You deserve this adoration, Robin. So take that. <laughs> um, I, I I can't thank you enough for that uh, extremely glowing uh, and potent review. I would like to say that <laughs> while while I no truly truly thank you. That's um, that's no, very no, no, no. I, that's I, very touching. Thank you. I um I would like to say that while I did make the choice to make documented feelings and experiences of mine available, I did make the choice to write books or whatever they are. I didn't – I never consciously made a choice to uh, to do a lot of that other stuff that you say that I do. But if, <laughs> if my books – but if my books are doing what you say, if, is, if, they, if are. they are leading – if my writings, if my writings, my books, whatever, are leading people to, to good places, feelings of belonging, connection, oh, and especially, of course, the experience, the honest experience of the, the, the extraordinary, if that's happening, then I, I couldn't be happier. Great. That's the kind of stuff that I think makes life very much worthwhile, and I, I couldn't be happier to imagine. Uh, if, that's, if that's happening, good. <laughs> very good. That's be, best, news I've gotten, best news I've gotten all year, really. Really? <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm, sp- I'm then- speaking from experience. It does. It happens. Yes, Bradwick. Well, actually, <laughs> Bradwick, go ahead and and tell Robin what your response and reaction was. Um, you know, after you were done gloating that you got your copy <laughs> before me, whatever. That's fine. Um, tell him what you said, or I will. <laughs> no, I, um, you, you know, I, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't made it all the way through, but um, I am still pretty early in my, in my craft. And I've, I've talked with Adair, I've talked with some other colleagues about what I'm struggling with. And just, like, I'm just early on in uh, the Clovenstone workings, um, you, like right after the introduction, you jump straight into the dark ecology of the devil, and mm-hmm. that's something that I have struggled with. I am a uh, I, well, I was raised Roman Catholic, and mm-hmm. so I have this preconception of what the devil is and what the devil means. And because mm-hmm. it was drilled into me, I, I I do struggle with separating myself from that. And so reading. Uh, just a little bit I've gotten through about the theological devil and the folkloric devil and how the the distinct well now I'm losing my words um, and, and how the differentiation what that's not a word God how the difference is made <laughs> and then how things just had changed over time through I think you called it like cultural destruction like it was nice to read because it put words into an explanation that I could understand, I guess. So it was very clarifying for me. So thank you. You're very welcome. See? Yeah, I can. Testimonials. A person could, uh, maybe a whole book could be written about the 
the folkloric devil versus the theological devil and all the problems and quandaries that causes and what role that played in cultural transformation. That's actually a whole book. I had to keep it down to just like eight or nine pages in Clovenstone, but a lot could be a lot could be said there. <laughs> well, and it and yeah, that that that's definitely a thing because um, I'm getting feedback uh, already. Um, about Clovenstone. So the fact that people are gobbling this up and it's only been available for a couple weeks should be indication enough that you are hitting the high points of, you know, the, I guess, I don't want to say conflict, the, the reconciliation between you know, the pagan perspective on who the first, you know, the elder gods are and the larger sheeple context of what they believe, you know, pagan gods um, represent. I mean, there's, there's a lot of discourse to be had here between, you know, what are our understandings of theistic and atheistic um, Satanism or Luciferianism or, you know, any of the diabolical studies, I find that there's a lot more willingness to look at those things now. I mean... Because there's obviously, and I know you probably noticed it too, the hmm, there's been a shift in trending media uh, representation of our faiths and practices, um, and I, you know, the world is ripe for a a further exploration of what does it really mean um, to worship the horned gods, the antlered gods, you know, theistic worship of these concepts and atheistic worship, if it can be called that. Well, anyway semantics. So I fail that to say, write another book, we'll buy it and we'll eat it and then we'll <laughs> discuss it on the show. <laughs> well, uh, if, if another one were to suddenly appear unexpectedly, I will I'll remember that. I'll, I'll even hold you to that. I'll, I'll call you up and say yep, get your credit card ready because um, you know, guess what? Because Robin is published again and we're going to eat <laughs> his books together. Okay. Well, Robin, I want to thank you so very much for coming through the door, dropping your suitcases, picking up the phone, <laughs> and um, dialing into our podcast. It has been amazing. And yeah, absolutely. We, uh, great. We hope you come back soon. You will do that, won't yes. you? Yes, absolutely. I, I will. Yes, you invite me in and I'll I'll come in. We will totally do that. 
So to close out, I'm going to read a piece that I have written to share with Incantation Nation because we feature an incantation for um, each one of our shows. And this one is one that I wrote um, a few years ago, and I would like to um, dedicate this um, with mindfulness to folks, whether they are solitaries or coven types, uh, urban witches, or uh, rural witches. And it is called No Path. I perceived I stood in a field mid-morn, yet the sun hid from my sight. A mist gathered low and had hushed all things, as all turned gray in this light. Cloaked was I, but drew back my hood, for at first I thought I alone. But nay, I yet shared what felt a dream with stang, knife, bowl, and stone. What magic to work, or could perhaps, from this place forward, I thought. Close my eyes, or move, or stay, or surge, which was the path I sought. Aha, yes, this, this path leads east, the red path toward the sun. By the whip of fire and act of will, results found here well won but white was the south road for the standing stones and from it watched the hare stealth sentry of time great keeper of secrets survival and wealth dwelt there from the gray path westward the murk waters led past toad and cauldron and well like the ink of old magic through shadowy servants, ages spent cunning their spell. But there, the north road, haunted by spirit, black specters drift the dead hail. Incantations to others, the censer smokes offerings, black wings unseen sweep the veil. A snake from the east had it encoiled in the bowl. Your choice awaits said she. Full use of these tools makes magicians of fools. Step forward, commit, and you'll see. Ashamed of them not, my flaws nor my fears, for they be the sworn guardians of growth. To commit to known paths was not what I chose. Instead, I held aloft my oath. No path has been trod to the place in between, like the challenge that none would dare task. But I stand in this place to lure fate to the chase from the luminous dark we now ask. To seek out the tools that are not yet ours, to cut paths where weaker minds fear. Tis the pursuance of that sets us apart and no path but this new one as clear.
that's written for my beautiful people. And I would like to thank all of you for listening in to another episode of Incantation Nation. Please circle up with us again next Friday at 8 p.m. Thank you so much for writing in your questions and all of the excellent conversation we have had this evening. And if all hearts and minds are clear, Bradwick, take us to bed. <laughs>